Ahoy! You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Isla Krem. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by Gabriela Kuss, CEO of Global DCA. The goal of the GDCA is to become a self-regulatory organization for cryptocurrencies. Think FINRA in traditional finance. She's going to be discussing with us the vision as well as things that are impediments to it and how they're working to overcome it and work with regulators in an efficient way. Enjoy. Everybody is zooming back on over. Hello, hello, everyone. Hope you had some good conversations. I am live from England as of four hours ago, so I'm not really super functional in the jet lag department, so apologies in advance for all of the mistakes I'm about to make. But uh, for those of you who haven't been here before, Here's what you can expect. This is a weekly event. This is the 134th version of it. We're going to talk briefly about Diffuse Tap and Diffuse and why we do this every week. And then we're going to speak to the amazing Gabby Goose. And then we're going to do two more rounds of breakout rooms, kind of similar to what you just experienced. Because as I say every week, this is mostly a networking event. It's a chance for you to meet other alternative investors heavy on the crypto um, from all over the world in kind of an intimate setting. So a little bit different, started in uh, COVID and has continued. But we do want you to learn a little bit, hence why we have folks like Gabby on to teach us stuff. Yeah, fist bump. And if you like this sort of thing, San Francisco, Jan 12th, there is a version of this in person with like drinks and fewer speakers or more speakers, depending on how you find it. So if you're in that area, come join us. Why do we do this? Diffuse is a crypto uh, fund platform. So we have two live funds right now. One is a DeFi market neutral fund focused on generating yield for investors. And the other one is an index fund, which we think is pretty differentiated from anything in the market. And we're actually in the middle of listing it, which is why we care a lot about regulators, which brings us to the speaker du jour. Gabby, I am really, really bad with introductions, even worse today than normal. So would you mind unmuting yourself, telling folks a little bit about your background and what you're up to over at the GDCA? It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Just to introduce myself, um, as mentioned, Gabriella Kuz, the CEO of the Global Digital Asset and Cryptocurrency Association. Um, We are an emerging self-regulatory organization um, association at this point, and our focus is really on three core areas. So that includes standards and guidance, education and certification, and then also um, globally sensitive advocacy. Um, We started roughly three years ago, and today we represent over 80 member firms. Those include small and medium, as well as some of the largest names in the digital asset space. Um, We have definitely seen a lot of interest around the concept of self-regulation coming out of um, FTX and looking at in the wake of this, how and in what way we could minimize or mitigate some of the negative aspects um, around centralized financial digital asset enterprises and the behaviors, um, both ethical as well as technical, um, that perhaps have been underpinning some of what we've seen with FTX. Um, In this vein, 
you know, happy to kind of share a little bit about, you know, what is self-regulation, how it functions, and also to share a little bit about like what our take is on it. Because again, um, different ways of structuring, forming, and engaging. And I think, um, you know, given, and I can go into it a little bit, my background, um, we can talk through and I think have some really exciting and dynamic dialogue on the subject. Awesome. I will toss you into the deep end right away. Um, SRO is a, <laughs> Mark was the FTX a member of the global DCA. Actually, you might, you might want to answer that one. Um, oh, no, no, they weren't. They weren't. <laughs> they weren't. I think no. you you did talk to them a few times. And decided we not did. To talk yeah, <laughs> we did. But they were not a member. No. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, maybe backing up a little bit. What is a what is an SRO, and how does that show up in the existing financial world? Like, who else is an, is, is an SRO that we would know of, and how do they usually work? Sure. So, you know, I'll kind of orient it in like two different ways. So um, there are some SROs like exchanges that exist, um, but I'll focus more on those that are association oriented. Um, so an SRO is just a, a self-regulatory organization. So by definition, it is an entity that, you know, creates rules or requirements. It um, works to, you know, build capacity to ensure that its members or adherents are able to comply with those. And then it usually develops over time a system of inspection and then enforcement, okay? Um, many times the ways that it seeks to resolve member disputes are through, like, for example, the development of an arbitration system, okay? Um, so you can see these, um, they're active. Some of them have legal mandates. Some of them have what we call um, colloquially an industry mandate, meaning that it's just generally accepted to operate in this space. Um, those that have legal mandates that you might see are, you know, the National Futures Association, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, so NFA and FINRA. Um, and then also those that maybe don't have that level of legal mandate, um, you're looking at the National Grain and Feed Association or NGFA. Um, there's also like the National Association of Realtors. That's another example that is not legally mandated, but operates in a self-regulatory or self-disciplining um, approach. So that's a little bit about, you know, what self-regulation is, you know, how it functions and how it exists in its form. And I'll just say in the U.S. today. So, uh, sorry, I just, I'm really, I've always been curious about the dynamics there. So maybe a little bit deeper on that. And I took my Series 7 20 years ago. And I remember a lot about FINRA and SEC. SEC, I gather, is not an SRO. It's a regulatory body. And then the, the FINRA is an SRO. So what does that dynamic actually look like? Where does that line Mm -hmm. Where is the line between them drawn? And then how are you trying to position yourself with Washington and other regulatory, regulatory organizations? Sure. So I think, you know, um, because what we're doing is sort of a modern approach on self-regulation, and I think the digital asset industry has, you know, certain unique aspects that need to be taken into consideration. I'll focus less on, you know, the history or dynamics of FINRA and the SEC and more on, you know, what we see as the evolution of a self-regulatory um, organization or SRO in this space. Um, I think, you know, it's important to look at and understand that, 
you know, especially given the early stage of development of the digital asset space that the regulator or formal regulatory entity and what we're trying to build or the Global Digital Asset and Cryptocurrency Association, the idea is that these two pieces would fit together much like puzzle pieces, okay? Um, it is not meant to be a substitute for, it's a complement for um, the legal and regulatory coverage that would be needed for the industry. So think of it, you know, and I always say SRO is such like a wonky term. A lot of people don't understand it. So I always say, well, then let's talk about a term that makes more sense to more people. And that's like a public-private partnership, okay? Or like a P3. So in this instance, it would be a recognition that regulators probably aren't going to have the expertise, the speed, the proximity, um, or the ability to appropriately attract, retain, maintain highly qualified staff in this space. And then from the side of industry, we would need help around some of the enforcement, the oversight, that component of it. So neither one of us are really able at this point, given the way that the industry is developing so quickly, so globally, um, for, from such a point of technological sophistication, for either party to really be able to independently, appropriately regulate and support the development of good standards and practices. So what needs to happen is that those two pieces come together. And then the people that are looking to build and want comfort and confidence um, in their investments here at home in the U.S. and potentially even abroad, um, they have that clarity from a legal and regulatory perspective that allows them to grow their business responsibly. So when we talk about, you know, what are the defining lines between and amongst, it's usually the regulator has what we call ultimate authority over the self-regulatory organization that would evolve, okay? So this would be the thing that would actually do the regulating. This is the check on that. And then as you move forward and you evolve over a period of years, okay, so from standards to then capacity internally within firms, then creating a system or a methodology for inspection, and then finally a system of enforcement, this would be the entity that would be the backstop on that and would help to ensure that if there are challenges, if there are issues, that those can be raised up to, as I said, like an ultimate authority. There's an interesting question in the chat here that somewhat relates to this, which is how do we take what might already be working in the FINRA universe and apply it to what we might need in crypto, for example? So they have specific kinds of exams available where you could get uh, you know, licensed or approved uh, to operate. Is that something that we will be considering as well, kind of FINRA type exams in future for the GBCA? So I think from our side, we're looking at, you know, a whole host of options. You know, some of them would be based on, I think, you know, learning or taking lessons learned from other self-regulatory movements. But I think the other piece that's important to recognize is that there may be better, more efficient and effective ways to kind of provide that regulatory coverage without being as invasive, given the transparency that you have around blockchain um, and also the ability to track and trace much more nimbly and flexibly. So I think these are pieces that, you know, again, we're taking this piece by piece. So we've just completed like phase one, which is the, um, you know, outline or what the structure of self-regulation could look like. The next piece that you're going to look at is what the functions. So that would be like phase two of that. And phase three would then be the operations. So this question relates a little bit more to the function and operation component of that. 
Um, but all of these options should be and are at this point on the table and would be considered um, as part of, you know, sort of a next wave of how you would design and develop this out. I think one piece to recognize is that, you know, at this point, part of the reason that we are so aggressively inviting firms to the table, um, especially those that have built well, are looking to align from a high degree of regulatory compliance, is because we want them to be part of the conversation and the decision-making process around what that structure looks like, what that function looks like, and what those operations look like. That makes that makes total sense. Um, and yeah, you want yeah you want the industry to weigh in. You don't want to just get blindsided by politicians who don't necessarily know what, what Bitcoin is, and you have to be proactive to to, to make that happen. Well, right. Um, so, what are the stakes here? So, if we as a country, the U.S., flub this and we don't do this properly like what's the downside like what are we trying to protect from okay so no that's a really good question um and i think you know uh basically we had a really interesting guest speaker um tim massad who was the former cftc chair um and also um hole jackson who's over at um harvard law and both of them shared their um perspective on self-regulation as part of one of our global dc webinars and i think they kind of pointed to the fact that you know if the industry hasn't at this point post ftx understood some of the value and importance of coming around and self-policing, um, self-disciplining, then, you know, I don't really know what more you need. Um, I think, you know, in the beginning, I'll say that usually self-regulation is a way to try to create this very strong balance between innovation and consumer protection and market integrity. Okay. Now, normally self-regulatory movements can time out, okay? So when you have a giant collapse like you had with FTX, sometimes that means that, you know, um, there's just no choice now, you have to move towards a formal regulatory model, okay? Um, now, that being said, that would be true in an established industry. The difference here is that in some ways, self-regulation is also about self-preservation. And what I mean by that is that this industry has been hit so hard that although there may be a government regulatory intervention and the degree to which that will perhaps dampen or quash some of the innovation in this space, that's yet to be seen. But the reality is that your credibility has been hit so hard that you now have no other choice but to come together in order to try to preserve the development of the crypto and digital asset space because the legal and regulatory requirements, they may be too little too late to save the evolution of this space. And so what really needs to happen are good industry actors to come around the table and not just themselves, but to start to, in a positive way, peer pressure your colleagues who own and operate and lead firms to understand how they need to engage, self-regulate and start to bring forward um, you know, a system by which we can re-instill credibility, re-instill trust, because that trust has been broken. Um, and if it isn't rehabilitated in some way, why would anyone trust digitally native firms again? Interesting follow-up question to that is how do we make a decision? Let's say it's not an SRO that ends up in the driving seat at the moment. It'll take a little bit longer. So currently the SEC and the CFTC are fighting about who should be in charge. Do you have a view who might be a better fit or is the answer none of the above? 
Sure. So I can share with you, um, you know, my kind of analysis on it um, and happy to kind of take comments or questions as well. Um, I took it less about what personalities are leading the organizations, because that's never really a strong indicator of the better fit um, organizationally. And instead, I looked at it how I would if I were, you know, making an assessment for like a World Bank project for legal and regulatory reform or um, for financial sector reform. And when I kind of took a look at it, I saw a few things come forward. One is I always look at the origination um, of the institution because a lot of the regulatory approach or philosophy um, that's embedded in those organizations stems from the birth of that entity. And so you have the CFTC that was born out of innovation, um, you know, helped come from a sleepy farm bureau into an entity that could, you know, truly lead the movement of moving off of the gold standard and onto the U.S. dollar, um, helping to advance, you know, sound practices in the futures um, industry. And I think that, you know, those pieces of it are very important because that trickles through. Heads and political appointees, they rotate, they move, but those staff who stay internally, these people many times are for life or for significant you know, periods of time, decades. And that organizational culture, that approach that it takes to regulation is very important. Now, contrast that to the SEC, which came out of obviously um, the stock market crash, um, a focus very heavily on regulation um, by rules-based and enforcement. And you kind of see that differentiating piece of nurturing, enabling, building, and still regulating and enforcing versus regulating, enforcing, shutting down. And so I think those two organizational cultures are one piece. The next piece that I look at is the approach or the degree to which you have a principles versus rules-based approach in each of the different regulators. From the CFTC side, you have a more principles-based approach, um, which allows, I think, for a greater degree of coverage and also is more flexible with regards to keeping pace on an emerging space versus a rules-based approach, which is very much, you know, tick the box, don't do this, don't do that. But then what happens if, you know, it something um, occurs that's outside of that very narrowly defined scope, right? Um, and I think lastly, um, if you're looking at this, the reality is that if I, and I think, again, you're looking at the degree to which the majority of some of these entities are coming forward, the degree to which they're, you know, going to be classified or should be classified as a commodity versus as a security. And I think that, you know, if you look at even just those three, and I won't go into all of the like factors that I look at, but, you know, those three factors, that's where I would better, I think, believe that it would be positioned under the Commodities and Futures Trading Commission. That's fascinating. I never really thought about the roots before, but it totally makes sense. One's more innovation, one's more defensive, right? And one's more likely to potentially stifle an industry for better or worse, which kind of brings us actually to the world stage question. We kind of hinted about this being a U.S. issue. Where do we stand relative to other countries? Like, are other countries doing this better, being more progressive, or just being more lackadaisical? What What are your thoughts there? Sure. So I think that the United States is definitely behind. Um, you know, you have EU MICA that's coming forward. And again, it may not be perfect. You may disagree with pieces of it. But I think in terms of taking the first steps forward, something at times is better than nothing. And this at least gives some level of clarity. And we're even seeing within our own members, people looking to um, expand operations into the EU in, in some instances based on the fact that, yeah, they don't agree with everything that's in EU MICA, but 
they can, they have a certain degree of expectation that they can meet their stability in terms of what will be forthcoming. And that is not the case here in the United States. I think you've seen the creation in other jurisdictions based on the country context um, of SROs or self-regulation, as well as, um, you know, the creation of um, independent or uh, new regulators, okay, or regulatory entities. Um, the expansion of powers in some instances with existing regulators. Um, I think, you know, all of these are important steps. And the truth is that in this country, because we have a democratic process that, you know, values um, differing opinions and brings forward and tries to leverage compromise in order to create and moderate towards the medium, um, we're never going to have a piece of legislation that everyone, even in this room, virtual room, will agree with. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that is crucially important um, is to start moving in some direction. And that's why, you know, I've been very pleased with each of the Lummis Gillibrand Bill, the Digital Commodities Exchange Act, and the Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act. Um, each of these, you know, I have my preferred, you know, obviously, or I have questions or issues or challenges with each of them individually. Um, but I think these are at least stepping in the right direction to put this country on track. I love it. And that's a nice uplifting note to end on. I will say a couple of, uh, one quick aside is, I would say three quarters of our speakers, uh, at least the crypto ones, talk about how desperately they would love to have an actual regulatory clarity. So just, it's very exciting. You guys are actually trying to solve that problem head on. So thank you for doing the hard work. Yeah. Um, and so with that, we're going to do uh, do our next breakout room. Uh, Gabby, uh, as always, in between breakout rooms, we're going to ask you the same question, which is tell us the future. Um, I think that's going to be a little bit easier for you than most because you got a pretty clear clear vision of where you want it to be and you're trying to make it yourself. Um, but a couple of housekeeping items for the breakout room. Uh, this is not a pitching session. It's networking. Please be respectful of that and each other. Hence the no a-holing um, comment there and try to keep politics to a minimum. Um, if you could, please, we don't do full participant words. We don't do a full participant list for privacy reasons. So if you meet somebody you want to connect with, swap details then and there in the room or join our Telegram group. Isla has already put it in the chat. You can uh, join it and you can mass ask Miss Gabby, goodness me, ask Miss Gabby questions uh, to keep the conversation going because we got a lot of them in the chat we did not get to. But Isla, can I stop talking and you can now talk about breakout yep. rooms? <laughs> Absolutely. So we're ready for breakout rooms. I'll pop you in there. You'd be with other people just like you talking about interesting things for about 10 minutes. Um, in terms of topic, I might toss the what does 2023 look like from a regulatory perspective in your mind. Um, and I'll pop you into rooms now. See you all in 10 minutes. All right. Ticker stopped going up. So welcome back again. Our conversation was lively. I trust that yours was as well but not as lively as what Gabby's going to tell us about what's coming into the future with her crystal ball. Yeah. So um, before I do that, I wanted to comment on a uh, note that was in the chat about um, self-regulation being, you know, very difficult. And the problem is that there's no enforcement. Um, so self-regulation isn't no enforcement. It actually does have an enforcement mechanism. And that's why you usually would seek a legal mandate and have a regulator that stands behind that. So typically in the investigation and disciplinary systems, 
systems that I've designed, you would start with something like a warning, then it moves to, um, you know, a second warning letter, you then move over to potentially being fined, you could be sanctioned, you could be removed, removed from membership, you could have your license revoked, um, you know, and ultimately, like the, the last step, of course, is, you know, inability to practice or to operate. Um, so I think, you know, um, just to be very clear, self-regulation isn't without teeth. It has to have teeth in order to be effective. And that's where the way that it is defined, it has to have an enforcement mechanism. Um, so just to kind of, you know, clarify that in terms of like crystal ball and where we see things going. Um, so it was a really good group that we participated in um, in the breakout session. From our side, I think you're going to see increased um, traditional financial institutions engaging in the space. Strategically, it makes a lot of sense right now. Um, the industry and digitally native firms, especially those that are centralized financial um, digital asset enterprises have taken a big hit. And realistically, if you think about it, a lot of the things that they've been doing are things that mimic um, in every way except it would seem governance and internal controls um, that with which traditional financial sector players could provide. I think given the fact that you're going to have a really strong regulatory wave, the winners on that side will be traditional financial institutions that would now like to get into this asset class more aggressively. Um, and with that clarity, they will be much more active in terms of their lobbying and advocacy efforts. Um, but also they will have the comfort and confidence they need. And in order to report back to the boards that oversee them, um, that they can do this without, I think, um, the opacity or the challenges that we've seen or ambiguity um, in legal and regulatory. Um, so I think that, you know, this is something that, you know, we will see coming forward. Um, I have flagged this because I think a lot of the um, digital asset exchanges that are CFI oriented are going to have a challenge here. That's from the CFI side. Now I'm going to divide this to the fund DeFi component. I think DeFi has so much opportunity this year, and I really see this being an opportunity for maturation, for market share expansion, for enhancing elegance in UI UX, and for you know putting forward a really strong value proposition around how and in what way DeFi helps to better resolve some of the challenges we see with traditional intermediaries. Um, you know what we've seen coming out of the you know fall of FTX because that will be this giant imbuing point. That's going to, I think, cast a shadow over how and in what way 2023 carries forward for the digital asset industry. Um, but I see, you know, certain winners being taken um, or at least coming out of this. And one of those is very much around DeFi. Um, I also see, and I've noticed a lot of uptick, and this was a trend that we were tracking even into this past year, like mid this year, is a higher emphasis on utility-based or um, value-oriented NFTs. NFTs had kind of a dip down. We've seen a lot of loss of confidence potentially in that space. But actually, I think that loss of confidence and the removal of hype-based investment into the class has actually given way towards an opportunity for there to be, you know, much more, I think, substance-oriented projects. And so what you're seeing are a recognition around how and in what way NFTs can be used to um, drive property, um, drive royalties, and drive ownership. And I think that, you know, if I were to make my predictions coming out of this, yes, CFI is going to have a rough, you know, 2023. I think you're going to see traditional financial institutions coming into this space because, again, 
again, um, how and in what way have the CFI institutions really delivered the stability, the confidence that these other institutions, that's their bread and butter. Um, so I think that's going to be what you see there. The DeFi space, again, winners and losers. DeFi, I think, is going to err on the side of winner. I'd love to see this area mature. And like I said, elegance, UI, UX, make this easier, more understandable and safer for people to use. The last piece, like I said, is going to be the NFT space. I think you're going to see a resurgence, a um, reflection back and recognition on the value. And I think we're going to see some really exciting projects coming out of the NFT space. That's awesome. Well, we want to get to another breakout room. So I'll, I'll uh, be concise and just say, here, here. And uh, Ayla, do you want to do a breakout room topic? Yeah, I'll pop you back into rooms in just a second. What is everybody's thinking when it comes to uh, whether the United States is going to get a lot of innovation moving forward or if entities are going to end up moving offshore just to make sure they can actually try new business models out and and uh, and maybe explore new technologies that just they wouldn't reasonably want to try in the U.S. or pop into rooms now. And we'll see you back here in 10 minutes. Okay, okay. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are at the top of the hour. We do like to leave punctually. So, quick wrap up um, if I can find it. Yes. Next week, we're talking about SEC compliant security tokens. Again, regulation, regulation, regulation when it comes to crypto. Uh, Diffuse Tap in person, January 12th, San Francisco. Be there or be square is a thing apparently we still say. And then also, do join the Telegram group, introduce yourself, um, all of that. Loveliness. Isla, any talking, talking points I forgot about? Uh, nothing except Merry Christmas. And if you are looking to host a Diffuse Tap in person in February, let me know. We are looking for somebody who is keen to do that. Gabby, your wisdom, massively appreciated. Uh, Isla always loves a good transcript and uh, you're going you're gonna to rock that. What do you want to plug? Um, so at this point, just to plug anybody here who has been building right and well in the beginning or in the first place is looking to, you know, sign on and support, you know, a lot of the efforts that we're doing around self-regulation. Come join us. Um, we are open always for new members at the Global DCA. Um, feel free to visit us at global-dca.org. Send us an email to our membership at um, or fill out our online form. And we'd be happy to engage with you and your firm and to get you on board and help you be reeled into our efforts. Thank you. Awesome. And like I said, Merry Christmas to everybody or happy holidays or whatever it is you celebrate this time of year. And thank you all for showing up and we'll see you next week. And thank you again, Gabby. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. All right. Bye. Happy holidays, happy everybody. Happy holidays. Indeed. That's all, folks. Hope you learned something new. If you join us on Zoom every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central, you can also network with other fascinating alternative investors from all over the world in small groups of four or five. Learn more on our website at www.diffusefunds.com. Until next time.